Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for good songs, especially songs, God, that are about you and what you're like, especially, God, for that great, strong, biblical truth that you are worthy. You are worth so much, Father, that we need to be forming our lives around displaying your worth. Why we do whatever we do should be because you are worthy. And if it does not demonstrate or model or show that you are worthy, then maybe we shouldn't be doing those things. Father, that type of understanding, though, and that desire can only come from you putting your truth in our hearts. And so here we are again this Sunday morning, coming to your word, asking for you to teach us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. There are a lot of good songs that we sing on Sunday mornings, but the ones that just declare that God is holy and that God is worthy are some of my favorites. I think my favorite hymn of all time is hymn number two in the hymnal, Holy, 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 because at our very basic uh, spot in life, is us wanting to worship God for who he is. Songs like that get to me because we're singing that he is worthy and he absolutely is. He is worth more than us. And this idea, as you just heard me pray, that God is worthy will cause us to evaluate who we are and what we are and what we do and why we do what we do. At least I hope that's where your heart is. You know, there's a chance that we are doing things in our lives and we don't know why we're doing it. And as soon as we can, can come to the realization that this is just kind of what we do or we've always done it or, you know, good question, I really don't know why I do what I do. And I don't necessarily mean in here. I mean anything that you do, we need to realize that there is no way, seriously, no way that you would expect us to pass this on to anyone else. For anybody who is not doing something, who is intrigued or interested or curious or considering of beginning to do something, must ask, why do you do that? And if we don't have an answer or even a drive inside of us for why we do what we do, and I don't mean just in here, I mean 24-7 with our lives, then we better know for sure that we're not passing that off. We're not influencing or impacting anybody with that. This week, really, the past about week and a half to two weeks, has been a really, really uh, neat time for our church. In the last week and a half to two weeks, 
connected to church people, as far as I know, and I certainly don't know everything, I know of six deaths that happened to people related to our church. We didn't have any, as far as I know, in the church, but your family members had six deaths in the last two weeks. That's a lot. A lot of meals to provide, a lot of visitations to attend, a lot of funerals to be at. Those are heavy. What that means is that right now in our midst, we have brothers and sisters in Christ and church family who are still grieving. Some are here this morning, some are not here this morning, some are still dealing with the aftermath of that, and some are so discouraged that we've lost loved ones, even in the last week and a half. But at the same time, while that kind of heaviness was going on, it was a really, really good time for our church with opportunity for us to serve. You go back a week and a half ago to last Thursday, the high school soccer team came down here to the church and we fed them a pregame meal. The next day, last Friday, the high school football team came down here and we fed them a pregame meal. And you go to last Sunday, we had homecoming here, and everybody stayed to eat lunch. Then you go to this past Tuesday, the high school soccer team came down, and we fed them a pregame meal. Then you go to Wednesday, right? Wednesday, we had dinner here. A lot of people came and ate. We had Dare to Care as we served food to all of the community of those that come to need help with with food. Also, the Fairdale Elementary School had a big event going on there. Many people from our church went to serve and contribute at that. The next day, Thursday, the high school soccer team came down here. We fed them a pregame meal again. Friday, just two days ago, the high school football team came back down. We fed them another pregame meal. That is Thursday, Friday, Sunday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and now we're here. That's a lot. You add all of that up, and you're talking at nearly 500 mouths that we have fed in the last week and a half. Not to mention the trash that needed to be taken out, and the dishes that needed to be done, and the tables that need to be cleaned, and the floors that need to be cleaned. There is a lot of opportunity there for us to serve, and I praise God for that. Not to mention that we are in a very, very divine spot that in every one of those positions we have the opportunity to be able to speak to them and open up God's word and teach them. We do not take that for granted. We do not want to mess up that opportunity. But you can see that that's a lot. That is our own money that we're spending to make that happen. That is our own people, our own volunteer time, our own effort, a lot of good coming out of that. But as you know, we ought to regularly remind ourselves, why do we do all that? There are some people that have been here every day for that. There are some people over the last week have worked over 40 hours here at the church with volunteer hours. It's a lot. We have to ask ourselves, why? Folks, we do it so that people will know the Lord Jesus. We do it so that people will hear how God loves them, how they have sinned against God, 
how Jesus is the answer to that sinning against God, how he died for them, and God raised him up from the grave to show that he can change anybody's life. He forgives sins. He is the answer to life. And just me taking these opening minutes to explain that already has you resting in, yes, that's why. Already has you being encouraged with the, with the push of, yes, that's why. And so it is in Christianity that we must never forget that's why. That's why we do all that we do, so that people would know Jesus. May God use our efforts. May God bless our efforts. May God be glorified in our efforts. We don't just do these things just to do these things. So I ask you now to turn in the Bible to Micah chapter 3. Last week, we took a break from the Minor Prophets because we had a guest preacher here, Jason Fowler, who preached a very encouraging message to us from the book of Genesis. It was good to have him here. I was encouraged by his preaching. But now we're back to the book of Micah, which I had begun the week before, and we covered the first, three, first two chapters. And our points that day were hear, halt, and hope. And today, as I mentioned then, we're going to look back and see that there is a cycle going on in Micah's prophecy, and each one begins with here. Look with me in the Bible at Micah chapter 1, verse 2. It says, hear you peoples, all of you, pay attention. God is trying to get everyone's attention. The people of God have been disobedient to God. They are not reflecting that God is their God, and so God will punish them. This is a consistent message in the Bible, even to today. If you don't want anything to do with God and to live with God, then there only is judgment and punishment coming for you. But that is not the end of the message or all of the message. For anyone who would turn from uh, their disobedience can turn to Christ and be forgiven of their sins. At chapter 3, it begins as well. Here, you see that? Here. So chapter 1 began with here, and chapter 3 begins with here. And if you'll turn over to chapter 6, this is what we're going to look at next week, it also begins with here. And so there are three cycles of messages in Micah's prophecy. Perhaps if you were reading at home and not looking too uh, attentively, you would not have noticed that. Today we will, and we're going to start at chapter I want you to remember all that I said here at the beginning about making sure we understand why we do what we do, why we are what we are. If you cannot answer that, you don't understand that, your soul's not gripped by that, then please, please, please consider today committing yourself to Christ, turning from your sinful ways and believing on Jesus, becoming a true and sincere follower of him. I want to begin reading at chapter 3. What you're going to see here in these three chapters is a little bit different than the way I normally do it, but here, here we go. The first thing I want you to see today is that leaders lead followers, and therefore there are consequences. Leaders lead followers, and therefore there are consequences. Secondly, I want you to ask, who are you following then? 
Who are you following then? And then lastly in chapter 5, God has followers. Carrying that over into the current, once you get outside of the Old Testament, Jesus has followers. Leaders lead followers and therefore there are consequences. Who are you following? And number three, Jesus has followers. So in Micah 1 and 2, he preached to them, hear, halt, and hope. And he ended that section with the hope of, of a remnant. But in chapter 3, he speaks up again, and it intensifies. You see this often in Scripture. Anytime you're seeing cycles, it seems to ratchet it up a little bit. And we have that here. Read with me at chapter 3. And I said, hear, you heads of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel, is it not for you to know justice? The problem here with who he's addressing are the leaders. You see where it says, heads of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel? So now he's not just addressing the people, he's addressing the leaders. And you can understand that the reason why there is so much of a problem with the people is because there's so much of a problem with the leaders, and that's the way it goes. Leaders lead followers. How many times have you seen a school not doing as well as it should do because of bad leadership? How many times have you seen a team not doing as well as it should do because of bad coaching, right? Now, certainly we're all mature enough and experienced enough to know that just because you have a bad school doesn't mean you have bad teachers, and just because you have a messed up team doesn't mean you have bad coaches. Surely you know that, right? Life is not as easy as it being that simple. You know that. But in the case that you do have bad leaders, you can believe that you will probably have struggling followers, and so is the case here. Chapters 1 and 2 was saying, hey, people of God, you are not the people of God. You don't reflect God at all. And so at chapter 3, he now goes to the leaders and seems to be saying, you're the problem. Don't you know justice? Leaders are supposed to be the ones who understand what is right and what is wrong. This is how it should be. Leaders are supposed to constantly be leading whoever is behind them on the ways at which they should go. So he has to bring up to them, you're supposed to know what justice is, and you're so far from it. He gets stricter. Verse 2, you who hate the good and love the evil. They're so backwards. They're so wrong. They're so out of line with what they should be as leaders of God's people that they now are calling good evil and calling evil good. This is a problem. He gets very strict or, or very pointed, and he says, who tear the skin from off my people and their flesh from off their bones. Who eat the flesh of my people and flay their skin from off them and break their bones in pieces and chop them up like meat in a pot, like flesh in a cauldron. You have so wrongly dealt with my people that they are an absolute mess and they hardly resemble anything of God. The Bible teaches through and through that a people of God are to look like God. So a holy God is to be represented in a holy people. A good God is to be represented in a good people and a faithful and true God is to be represented in a faithful and true people. And these leaders have so diced up the people into crookedness and wickedness and dishonesty and all of those things that now the people are a mess. 
They are literally wrapped up in sinful, evil ways that reflect the pagan nations, and yet they keep saying, we are of God. It's terrible. It's terrible. And you recognize it right away. Verse 4, then they will cry to the Lord, but he will not answer them. I don't know if you've ever seen this in Scripture before, but the Bible says this many, many times. We have seen it in the prophets already. It is found often throughout the prophets. If you are not trusting in God, then you have no assurance that God will hear your prayer when you cry out to God from without faith. And so Micah says it to them again. They will cry out to the Lord, but he will not answer them. He will hide his face from them at that time because they have made their deeds evil. This because of the influence of the leaders. This directly to the leaders. The people are now dealing with the consequences of having God against them and opposed to them because they have not been faithful to God. Verse 5, thus says the Lord concerning the prophets who lead my people astray. You see this? The prophets are the ones who tell the people what God says. That's the definition of a prophet. That God gives a message to the prophet and says, go tell the people. And here, the true prophet, Micah, is telling the prophets, you're leading the people astray. It brings us back to, why are you even doing it? What's the point of being a prophet if you're not going to tell people about God? There's no point in it. There is no honor for somebody who claims to be of God or claims to be a church person or claims to be a Christian or claims to believe the Bible who does not truly love and believe God. There is no honor there. Don't be deceived by this. The prophets here are leading the people astray. He says, who cry peace when they have something to eat, but declare war against him who puts nothing into their mouths. They are so self-centered on themselves that the only time they actually want to honor God is only if he's doing good to them. They're not worshiping God, they're worshiping themselves. Verse 6, therefore it shall be night to you without vision and darkness to you without divination. The sun shall go down on the prophets and the day shall be black over them. The seers shall be disgraced and the diviners put to shame. They shall all cover their lips for there is no answer from God. Micah has been called by God, put in this position, speak to the people, make aware to them that I am not behind them. I am not blessing them. The leaders now have followers following them in the wrong direction. They don't know God, and there are consequences for it. We see this. Reminds me of a time just about a year ago when our boys were playing in a baseball tournament, and there was a kid who needed a ride, it couldn't get a ride or something like that, and we had to go pick him up and give him a ride to the baseball tournament. And usually as we're about there, I'll ask one of the boys to open up the Bible in the car and read us a verse. Yesterday on the way to the soccer game, J.J. read Proverbs 3.26, the Lord will be your confidence. It's a good verse. The Lord will be your confidence. About a year ago, we were heading this baseball tournament, I had two of my sons in the car, and then another boy, and I asked them, I asked if we could read the Bible on the way there, and the boy said, can I read? I said, sure. So I handed him the Bible, and he said, I kid you not, he said, 
what's a Bible? I say, you don't know what a Bible is? He says, no. I say, y'all never read the Bible? He says, what is a Bible? He didn't know what one was. He'd never seen one. He'd never read one. He'd never heard somebody read to him. So I said, by all means, read. He started reading and reading. He finished a couple verses that I told him to read, and he said, can I keep reading? I said, yeah, keep reading. Folks, you need to understand, and I think that you do, he's not so much in that position because of his own doing, but rather so much in that position because of who has influenced him in his life. He's only eight years old. But as you know, an eight-year-old eventually grows up to be an 18-year-old and so forth. And then we have this situation of godlessness, lives with no influence of God on them. Well, in the book of Micah, we have the people of Israel who should be reflecting God very, very far from God. Because the leaders, the false prophets over them are not leading them toward God. They're leading them away from God. You and I must be very, very careful and from that care intentional to represent God well. We must understand what do we do with our lives and why do we do what we do with our lives. Why do we want the opportunity to feed a team that many days out of the week? Why do we want the opportunity to raise children in our homes? Why do we want the opportunity to engage or establish a friendship or partner with somebody? Why do those things matter to believers? Because God is a saving God, a sin-forgiving God, and we are hoping at all opportunities at every turn with every single open door that God would use us as leaders to influence whoever might come after us, whether it be children, whether it be co-workers, whether it be community leaders that are sitting in as they hear me talk to teenagers. The influence, though, of those around us is often shaping us more than we can even emphasize. You need to realize that whoever is influencing you, whoever you are following, whoever is informing why you do what you do, is somebody worth following. And we'll get into that more with our second and third point. So as Micah has pointed this out, look what he does next in verse 8. He raises himself up against the false prophets. Verse 8, but as for me... I am filled with power, with the Spirit of the Lord, and with justice and might to declare to Jacob his transgression and to Israel his sin. Amen. There is a huge difference, y'all, between a, a fake leader and a real leader. A fake leader is going to allow you to stay in your position of, of being okay and really doing what you want to do, really no challenge there, keep patting you on your back as you're moving in the wrong direction. But notice that Micah, with power, filled with the Spirit of the Lord, is not that way. Yes, he's preaching them the truth. Yes, he's telling them about God. Yes, he is good for them. But the way that comes about is by being honest about declaring to them where they're wrong, where they're out 
out of line, where they have sinned against God and transgressed God. Notice that we have no real leading. We have no real influence. We certainly have no impact for God if we're not willing to talk about where we are wrong, us and anybody else. Micah admits this in verse 8. So in verse 9, he comes back. He just gives one verse to how authentic he is as opposed to the rest of them. But in verse 9, he comes back to this word here. Verse 1 says here. Verse 9 says, hear this, you heads of the house of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel. So he's now coming back to them. You detest justice. You make crooked all that is straight. You build Zion with blood and Jerusalem with iniquity. Its heads give judgment for a bribe. Its priests teach for a price. Its prophets practice divination for money. Yet they lean on the Lord and say, Is not the Lord in the midst of us? No disaster shall come upon us. Therefore, because of you. Does everybody see that? Therefore, because of you. Zion shall be plowed as a field. Jerusalem shall become a heap of ruins and the mountain of the house a wooded height. God has concluded on his people that he will judge them because of the leader's false hope. It ought to be a deep concern of ours that none of us have a false hope. That's why we must ask, why do we do what we do? Why do you think you are a Christian? Why would you think your sins are forgiven? Why do you think that at the next funeral that person is going to heaven or hell? There must be answers to these things. And the unbelievers around us are asking all of those questions. Why? 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 What's the certainty? Where's the surety? How do you know? Are you so sure about that? And Micah to his people here is raising the same thing. But on the negative. There is no surety there with you people of Israel, he says. You think you've got some comfort there and you claim that you're leaning on the Lord, that he's in the midst of you and that there will be no disaster simply because you're the people of God. That's not true. And God so wants it to be clear that that's not true, that he's coming to punish them. So number one, leaders lead followers and therefore there are consequences. I want to read this to you from the kids' Bible that, reason, that we're reading these days. There are so many good children's Bibles. If you have kids in your home, teenagers in your home, if you have grandkids in your home, please let me know. I can show you many, many, many really, really good kids' Bibles. And just let me be honest, not all kids' Bibles are created equal. There are some really good ones, and there are some that are just really, really bad. This is a new one to us. It is, it is loaded. It has uh, about 150 different stories in it. it it's, it's awesome. Uh, let's see exactly. Yeah, 156 stories here. It's a lot. And every single story is just like this, just these two pages. And every single story has a let's talk about it section. This is a new one. We've never even finished this. We're only on uh, chapter 67 But this one is on the fall of Israel. I want you to hear this. Remember, we're talking about leaders lead followers and therefore there are consequences. It begins, this story is not a happy one. If you want to be honest with yourself, that's true. Stop telling yourselves that every story in your life is a happy one. There are many stories in our lives that aren't a happy one. We must be able to address what's the problem here and what's the solution. 
It says this story is not a happy one. From the time that Jeroboam began his reign as king over Israel, he and the kings who followed him sinned against the Lord. The leaders of God's people were sinning against God. Instead of worshiping the true God, they followed false gods and secretly did things that should not be done. They built high places to worship the Canaanite gods all through their towns and cities. They set up pillars and asherim as idols on every high hill and under every green tree. They made offerings to false gods at these places and served their idols, the very things God told them not to do. Yet the Lord kept warning Israel and Judah through every prophet he sent, just like Micah is right now saying, turn from your evil ways and keep my commandments and my statutes in accordance with all the law that I commanded your fathers that I sent you by the prophets. In spite of these warnings, Israel did not listen. They followed the gods of the nations around them and worshipped their golden calf idols. They did evil things and even burned their children as offerings to the false gods. Because of this, God's righteous anger rose up against Israel, and he used the nations around them to punish them. Here's what finally happened. When Hosea was king over Israel and doing evil in God's sight, God brought Shalmaneser, the king of Assyria, to defeat him. At first, Hosea held off an attack by paying Shalmaneser lots of money, but later Hosea stopped the payments and tried to get the king of Egypt to help him fight Assyria. When Shalmaneser found out, he attacked Israel, arrested Hosea, and sent him to prison. He surrounded Israel's capital city of Samaria with soldiers so that no one could get out. Finally, the Israelites gave up and they were carried away as prisoners to Assyria. Notice, God's people are now prisoners in a foreign nation because their leaders have led them wrongly. This disaster came because Jeroboam set up idols in the land and all the kings after him followed his wicked ways. The people of Israel did not turn away from the sin so the Lord sent them to Assyria's captives. After that, the people of Judah and Jerusalem were all that was left of God's people in the promised land. The people of Judah resented their brothers in Israel because they worshipped idols instead of worshipping God in Jerusalem. The two countries hated each other for a long time. But one day, many years later, a man from the tribe of Judah reached out to the Samaritans, another name for the people of the northern kingdom of Israel, with a special message called the gospel. That man, of course, was Jesus, the Son of God who died on the cross for our sins, even the sins of the Samaritan people. Do you remember the story of the woman at the well? She was a Samaritan whose ancestors had worshipped idols in Samaria, refusing to worship the Lord in Jerusalem. Instead of rejecting her, Jesus asked her for a drink and touched her life with his words. She believed and told all her friends about Jesus. As a result, many Samaritans from her town trusted in the Lord. I like this children's Bible. And I liked this chapter because of the honesty about how the, the bad leadership in the Old Testament had left the people of God in such a desperate spot. I also like it because in one page it will get us from that bad spot all the way to the hope that there is in Jesus. Chapter 3 of Micah leaves us in a spot of saying, because of the leaders, now the leaders and the followers are going to deal with the consequences of being punished by God. You get to the end of chapter 3 and you think, wow, that wasn't a very good chapter. Then we start chapter 4, and immediately, and you find this sometimes with the prophets, immediately Micah's message has shifted. 
Look at chapter 4, verse 1. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains, and it shall be lifted up above the hills, and people shall flow to it. And many nations shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem." All of a sudden, Micah has changed his story, it seems like. Chapter 3 is so dark and gloomy that the people are reflecting their leaders and all of them are against God and this isn't good. And Micah's a picture of faithfulness to God and he's telling them what God says and how God feels about this and they're not doing anything. And it makes you think God's just about to destroy it all. But then chapter 4 says, no, there's hope. And no, there will be people that are coming to God. There will be people wanting to walk in faithfulness. That's why I said my second point of the day is, who are you following? A simple look at the book of Micah says there are people going in two different directions. A simple look at chapters 3 and 4 of the book of Micah will cause us to see there are people going in two different directions. And I want to ask you honestly today, what direction are you going? Are you going toward God? Are you looking to him? Are his ways informing your ways, shaping your ways? Is your life becoming more godly? I think about this all the time from the perspective of our church as a whole. Is, 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 is the community around us getting a better understanding of what God is like? Those 50 people that are here every Wednesday representing nearly 400 people from all of the people that go through our Dare to Care, as they think about God from their little window of trying to understand God through a Dare to Care food pantry, which is not the best way to understand God, but perhaps in their world, it's the most that they get to understand God. What is it that they think about God through that work? I think about the football players, 65 of them that were just here on Friday. As they walk in this building and they see what we're like and they look around and they try to form a, a view of God based off of just that. Again, that's not the best way to form a view of God. The view, true view of God must be formed off the truth of the word of God. But with their limited view of God, what are they thinking? And then I think the same, oh, I think the same for my household, for my children. Their dad is a preacher, a Baptist, a Southern Baptist preacher. What is it that they think about God? What does the community think about God from us? We must get to the heart of why, why, why. What are we and why are we what we are? If we cannot answer those questions, then we are going to struggle. And Micah in chapter 4 brings it right back to this hopeful message of there are a people going after God. There are. Look back now to verse 3. He shall judge between many peoples and shall decide for strong nations far away. They shall beat their swords into plowshares, their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. But they shall sit every man under his vine and under his fig tree. No one shall make them afraid, for the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. There are people out there who say, I realize the world lives this way, thinks this way, reacts this way. I realize that that's what they think a good Friday night is like. I realize that that's what they think a dating relationship looks like. I realize that. But 
God has a message for us. I hear it. I follow it. And it is shaping my life. And so look what verse 5 says. For all the peoples walk each in the name of its God. But look at chapter five, 4 verse 5. But we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. I tell my kids this almost every morning as we get to school. I realize that in a school with some 500 kids... Many of them, many, 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 many of them do not care one bit to live for God, do the right thing, obey the teacher, and try to be holy. I get that. But we do. We want to. He loves us. He died for us. This is the most important thing in our lives. And chapter 4 verse 5 tells us that yes, the world is totally not wanting to embrace God, His holiness, and the truth that shapes us to be holy like Him. But there are a people that want to. There are. You need to be encouraged by that. And if all you're ever doing is looking around to the leaders they are going to lead you to think that's not that important, guess what? You're going to end up looking like those people that influence you. That's exactly what's happening here. That's why God called Micah, preach this to them. But in the midst of the discouraging looking around like, man, there's hardly anybody that really cares about holiness or repentance or stopping sinning or living right these days, Micah speaks up and says, oh, no, 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 there are. Just read verse 5 again and think about this with your peers. I don't know who you hang out with. I don't know who you had the last meal with and who sat around the table. But just think about it in light of verse 5. For all the peoples walk each in the name of its God. But we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever. Which one of those are you? Be honest about it. Which one of those are you? We had a kid, one of our kids came home from school the other day and said, well, today at school, a kindergartner told the teacher, F you. I thought, kindergartner, teacher, F you? I said, what is that F word? They said, I don't know. You know, the reality is, this is the reality. Those things happen, right? The desire is not at all to shape them away from knowing that that's real. The desire is to say, it's wild up there, isn't it? You got kindergartners telling teachers that. We don't do that. And here's why. You understand? Notice that it's not, we don't do that. It's we don't do that, and here's why. God's changing our hearts. We want anything that comes out of the mouth to come off of a heart that loves him. There are a lot of people walking after its own God. And you know that in verse 5, that means not the real God. But we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. He is so real to us, so sweet to us, so life-changing to us that we want to please him. Him. This is what Micah is telling them that God is doing in Israel, even as God is saying, Your leaders are leading you in the wrong way. 
So look at verse 6. In that day, declares the Lord, I will assemble the lame and gather those who have been driven away and those whom I have afflicted. And the lame, I will make the remnant. There's that word again. God is going to have a group of people that he's called out and saved. Notice that God is totally the one that's doing it. And those were cast off, a strong nation, and the Lord will reign over them in Mount Zion from this time forth and forevermore. He goes on and on, and he's talking about that God is going to do this. Verse 11, now many nations are assembled against you, saying, let her be defiled and let our eyes gaze upon Zion. But they do not know the thoughts of the Lord. They do not understand his plan, that he has gathered them as sheaves to the threshing floor. Arise and thresh, O daughter of Zion, for I will make your horn iron and I will make your hooves bronze. You shall beat in pieces many peoples and shall devote their gain to the Lord, their wealth to the Lord of the whole earth. God is creating a people that are set apart, that are different. God is working inside of Israel to have a remnant. Many of them do not want to live for God, but God is creating a people out of them that will. Then you get to chapter 5, and you ask the question, how? Okay, so maybe the Bible says that. How? Is it true? Can God really do that? Can God really take out of a sinful world and change somebody? Can he really do that? Am I just trying to uh, brainwash y'all into believing that about you, or is God really doing that? Is there a gospel hope that God will do that with my children, or am I hoping that I can be a strong enough, overpowering influence on them that I will make them be the way I want them to be? Which is it? I know y'all are thinking that. I know the unbelievers around us are telling us that's what we are. Or is the Bible truly telling us what God is doing in the world? And the remnant that we see in the world is the proof of God doing what he said he's going to do. Are there truly people in the world that God has replaced their dead hearts and given them living hearts that deep down love God? This is what he's saying he's doing. How is he going to do that? Well, look at verse chapter 5. Now muster your troops, O daughter of troops. Siege is laid against us. With a rod they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. Verse 2, please tell me you know this verse. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one, does everybody see that one? One who is coming to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient, of day, from ancient days. Therefore, he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. Verse 4, and he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. They shall dwell secure for now. He shall be great to the ends of the earth. And look at verse 5. And he shall be their peace. Who is Micah talking about there? Jesus. 
Micah says, I know y'all are thinking I'm crazy, Israel. He says, I know that y'all are aware of how worldly you've become because your leaders are that way. But listen, right when I'm telling you God's coming to destroy, God's drawing out a remnant. He's going to create a people that love him. They're going to look around and see everybody else living for their God. But you're not. There are going to be some people walking in the way of their God. And everybody says, how is he going to do that? And Micah predicts what Matthew told us was about that Jesus is coming, a ruler, a savior who is a shepherd. And you know what shepherds do, right? They lead. They lead followers. And guess what Jesus is when he came, and guess what he is even now? A shepherd to people who are sheep that follow him. We know his voice. We hear his voice. We listen to him. We love him. And wherever he leads us, that's where we are going. And you know what it even says there at the end of verse 5, or the beginning of verse 5? He will be their peace. Don't miss that. Because when you are honest about everybody else around me and in my life is not living for God. Even those that say they love God don't really love God. Even those that say that they're Christians, they don't really want to obey God. And I see this everywhere, and it kind of gets lonely or sometimes challenging or sometimes stressful to try to live God's way in this. And here's the promise about the shepherd, the true leader that leads the true followers. He gives them peace inside. If you were here last Sunday, you heard Jason preach. And in the middle of his sermon, he told his little testimony that he was a lost and wayward, struggling 21-year-old. Do you remember that? And he said when God saved him, God put inside of his anxious life peace that sealed him in, God loves me. God's for me. God's forgiven me. I believe God. God will take care of me. And Micah raises up Jesus. When you start to ask how can God really create a people that follow him, the answer is Jesus. Jesus is truly that sweet Savior that died on the cross for our sins and rose again who leads us out, who leads us in paths of righteousness, who will be with us always. Micah is telling them this. If you jump down to verse 7, he says the remnant. If you jump down to verse 8, he says the remnant. And he's pointing out over and over again that the Savior will have a people that are committed to the Savior. So as I say to you, leaders lead followers, and therefore there are consequences. And I ask you who you are following. Be encouraged this morning that God, through his Savior Son, Jesus, is a shepherd, and there are followers. Josh Womble read that passage in Matthew chapter 2, where the word had come, that the king had been born. You remember that? It's a Christmas story. And when the king there, Herod, heard that a king had been born, he said, I'll kill that king. I will kill that king. And so he asked the people that knew, imagine, listen, imagine being the king of Israel 
and not knowing where your Old Testament word said the king would be born. You see? This is what Micah's saying is a problem. King Herod didn't care at all about what God's word said. He just wanted to live how he wanted to live. And he led people how he wanted to lead people. And everybody who was following King Herod was now suffering under it. Y'all, there's only one type of true, good leadership. And it's the leadership that leads you to God. As you decide who you're going to follow and who's going to influence you in life, make sure they know God. And King Herod has to ask, Where's the Bible say he'll be born? You know what they quoted? Micah 5, 2. He'll be born in Bethlehem. And he will shepherd his people. That was way after Micah. That was about 2,000 years ago. And even now, he is shepherding his people. Folks, be sure. That against all circumstances, against the flows of this world, and perhaps even against your dearest people, you're following Jesus. He's a true shepherd. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the book of Micah and how you're causing us to understand disobedience and judgment yet mixed with the, the hope. Father, make it where we're hearing this because that's what you're wanting to happen, that we would listen up. Father, give us honesty about what we are and why we are what we are, why we do what we do. Oh, Lord, lead us to follow you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.